This podcast is brought to you by King's Council Coaching. The mission of the King's Council is to help you discover, develop, and deploy your God-given talents and abilities. In order to leave a legacy, you need to live your legacy of excellence through the five power pillars, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, and financial. Now, our programs are specifically designed to give you the blueprint and strategies that you need to gain an edge in the most important areas of your life. If you're an entrepreneur ready to upgrade your finances and align yourself with other powerful kingdom-minded men and women, visit kingscouncilcoaching.com to start your legacy of excellence today. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Chosen Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Spittler, Director of Member Relationships here at the King's Council. And this week I have my good friend, Roger Sullivan, on the show. Roger, so great to have you with us. That's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Roger is a real estate investor, really has an amazing story, which we are about to dive into. I'm sure we'll also talk a lot about different forms of real estate and really even how God's changed your life over the last couple of years here. But let's start off with King's Council because you're on staff with King's Council. You've really been with us from the beginning. So how did you originally come to hear about King's Council? That's a God story in itself. I had a, a friend that used to be a part of the King's Council who he just sent me a message one day and he goes, he sent me this link for this event, said, Hey, there's this event in Tampa and we're going. And I'm like, okay, sure. And I just set it aside. Didn't think anything about it really. A couple of days go went by and I went back and I clicked on the link and I'm like, I've never heard of these people. I don't know anything about, like I followed Grant Cardone and some of this stuff, but I don't recognize any of these names, nothing. And so I called my buddy and I'm like, are you, were you serious about this? He's bro, they only have a hundred tickets. Make sure you get yours. We're going. And I'm like, okay. And I made this decision about a month prior that, that I needed more of this guy in my life. And we had recently landed in Jacksonville, Florida, away from our family and away from anybody that we knew. And Jared had come back into my life and he had some good fruit in his life. And if it was good enough for him, he said, we were going to go, then we were going to go. And that's how I ended up in a, in a presentation room in Tampa, Florida in February of last year. That's how I ended up there. And then walking in the room, I was at a point in my life where I felt like I was doing pretty good. I had, I've accomplished a bunch of things. I've actually managed to retire once and I was doing pretty good, but I was basing that on the people that I was hanging around with. And it was right. evident when I walked into this room that there were people that were firing on a totally different level. Not only that, the, they were genuine. Mm -hmm. Somebody actually walked up to me and, and really wanted to know my name and it didn't seem pitchy or salesy or anything. There was just something from the moment that I walked in that room that I realized there's something here that I need to know more about. Yeah, that's great. I was just on the phone with someone actually who was in that similar place where they said, Hey, in my circle, I'm really the biggest fish. I'm the healthiest. I'm the most wealthy. I have the best marriage, all these different things. But if that's the case for you as one of our listeners, then I think Roger and I would both advise you to find a different circle, find people that are on that next level to help you grow. 
Yeah, and but here's the thing. We come across people who are very successful in different areas of their life. Like I've got a friend that is, he's a great spiritual guy who's busted or yes. you know, somebody that's doing really well in their financially and their marriage is busted or whatever. They're, they're firing on like one thing, but the rest of their life is just a shambles. Yes. And yes. that's what's so different about this group is this is a group of men and women that are leveling up on all cylinders. We talk about if one area of your life is a wreck, it's going to affect those those other areas. And even yes. though you think you might be firing at like an eight or a nine or even a 10 in that area, you, those areas that are dragging you down are actually stopping you. And I would challenge you to wonder what the what a 10 actually looks like in another mm. area. But that was the other thing about this group is they were firing on all these. They were, their marriages were great. There was, there was financial fruit. These guys were in shape. They seemed emotionally stable and intellectual. I'm just like, okay, mm. this is different. I've, I haven't seen a group of people. If I would have thought there was one person that was like that, I would have thought it was an anomaly, but here I am in a room full of guys and women that are like just at a different level. Yeah. We see it all the time where somebody, like you said, they're spiritually doing really well, but financially they're just limping along or maybe their business is booming, but they've put so much into their business that their marriage is suffering or their health is suffering. Why do you think that is? Why do you think so many people have a hard time excelling in multiple areas in life as opposed to just sticking to the one thing we're good at? I think that has a lot to do with the way that we've been raised. It's we hear so much things about so much talk about work-life balance and it gives it a, of an gives this this thought that it's either or mm. and it's not and one of the things that, you know, one of the things I love is that we serve a God of yes. And yes, we can do both. And we can talk about instead of balance. One of the things that Scott talks about is harmony. It's, it's not balance. It's harmony. How do, how can you do, you can do all these things together. Mm-hmm. You have the power and the tools and the ability to do all those things together. But I think so many times we get caught up in it's either, either, and or either if, or, and kind yeah. of situation, which is why somebody boils all this time into their work. And they're like, I know I'm destroying my family, but I'll get to it when work gets there. The problem is that if you're an achiever, you never really get there. And there's always yeah. the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And by the time you turn around, you're your family's gone or your wife's gone or your kids don't know who you are or just in just that one example, but you can accomplish both of those things. If everybody's on the same page and they understand and everybody's moving together, you can bring your family along on that journey and they can understand and be a part of that 100%. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And as an investor yourself, have you started to look at these different areas of life almost like an investment where you're investing into your marriage or you're investing into your health, meaning that you do sometimes have to take something away from something else that you have to kind of play the long-term game of, yeah, okay, I don't really want to work out today, but I'm going to invest into my health today. I'm going to take time away from my family, time away from my business to invest in my health but know that's going to long-term begin to give me a return on that investment, even in my business or my marriage or whatever. Yeah. So let's stick a pin in that. And I, I want to answer that question, but I want to tell a little bit of a story about that. So if I go for it, get sidetrack and go, what are we, what, what was I trying to answer? This is what we're, what is what we're trying to answer. In 2016, my mom got really sick. She got cancer and started to get really sick. And she was just in her mid sixties. And by the time that she was 63, she had passed on. Mm. And my grandfather, her father died in his late fifties. 
And I started to really look at what was what's what was important. What was my life looking like? I was we were in Washington State. We were I was working a corporate job. My wife had a great job at a coffee stand, and our youngest kid had just graduated high school. And we're looking at what do we what? So we're supposed to work do this for the next twenty years in hopes of retirement that we may be able to travel and do these things. But my mom, she didn't make it to retirement. My grandpa never made it to retirement. So what happens if the, if I don't get the chance to do that? And so my wife and I, we'd always wanted to travel since we were very young, but we had our children starting at 18 and 19 years old. By the time I was 26, I had four boys raising on my own as a boy myself, had no idea what I was doing. And uh, so we found ourselves in this position of why not now? And we, we, my wife had listened to a book and I read it called The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. And it changed our thinking a little bit about being able to multiply our money by hacking our finances and making our dollar go farther in a different part of the world. So we're starting to figure out like, what if we could travel now? What would that take a look like? What would that, uh, what would that look like? And so we came up with this plan and this budget of, all right, literally, I think that if we sold everything and we don't have a house, we don't have insurance, we don't have cars and a cable bill and all this stuff, I think we could travel indefinitely for about $2,000 a month. And so we started to look at what can we do? So my wife went to, got a teaching certificate. She taught English as a second language online. I started doing some marketing and some consulting and we had a three-year plan of this is, we're going to work out and sell everything and get to this point. And then once we started moving, once my wife and I actually got on the same page and became equally yoked, that three-year plan turned into 18 months. Mm. And in February of 2018, we bought a one-way ticket to Vietnam and we were gone and just living. We boiled our life down to two 65 liter backpacks. Our youngest son came with us for about the first 10 months and we traveled for almost two years. We had 27 different countries and just got a sense of what was really important. We got out of the United States. We're able to see really how blessed we are, how much we've just won the lottery of life. And if you're listening to this and you were born in the United States and you live in the United States, I'm telling you that you've won the lottery of life just by being born here. We've been in many third world countries. We've seen abject poverty and to the rest of the world, we are the 1%. No matter where you fall in the economic scale in the United States, we are the 1%. Mm. And so we we spent a couple of years and it, it really brought into focus like what's what's really important to us. So when you ask that question about, am I taking time away to invest? Do I look at things as investment of my health, of my personal development and all that stuff? Absolutely. There's definitely a cost analysis that goes on with everything that we do. We actually landed back in the United States. We started, we bought a house, we started furnishing it. You walk through our house and, and People have told us it's lovely furnished, but it's very minimalistic. There isn't stuff everywhere. We're very conscious about the things that we purchase and the things we have in our house because because we only have what's important. There's not anything that's like super frivolous or anything like that. Everything that we have has some kind of purpose or meaning. So when I do spend money to join a gym and I make a commitment like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to commit because I'm 20 pounds overweight and I need to, and I need to work on that. When I wake up in the morning and I want to lay there in bed, I tell myself, okay, I've made a commitment to that. And so I'm getting up, even though I don't want to, I'm getting up and doing it because I've made a commitment and I've made an investment to hold myself accountable to that investment. So good. And man, there's so many questions that follow up questions I want to ask you on that, but 
one thing that stuck out to me is you talked about seeing somebody else's mortality. And I think for many of us, for me personally, I've been to several funerals recently, people that I've known, people that I've loved. And there is something when you're sitting there looking at somebody's life and you're looking at how they spent their life and the things that they were able to do and the things they weren't able to do. And it does really bring it home that, hey, we don't really know how many more days we have. We got one shot at this thing called life and we don't know. And I think a lot of times people can always think in once my job is established, and you alluded to this, once my job's established, once my money is established, then I'll start to invest into my family. Or once my health is in a good place, then I'll be able to give more time to this or that. Or even I see this in the church happening all the time with people where they think, I used to work with youth and they think, yeah, once I go to college, then I'll really start living for Jesus. Once I get married, of course, I'll start living for Jesus. Once I have kids, once the kids are out of school and before you know it, you're actually, you're living your life right now, today. Yeah. If you're listening to this, your life is today. So prioritize the things that matter today. Anything you want to respond to that before I jump into the next question? Yeah, I would just say that's so important is that all we have is today. We don't have we don't have tomorrow. I remember there was a a, a guy named I think his name was Fresco. He was part of the King's Council like for a couple months back, like a year and a half ago. And he, he had said this quote that it just burned into my memory. He's like he said he said procrastination is the arrogant assumption that God is going to give you another chance tomorrow. And I'm like, that is just so good. We just think about, oh yeah, I'll live for Jesus tomorrow or I'll, I'll, I'll do that thing tomorrow. You're, you don't, you're banking on something that just is not guaranteed. You don't have it. Yeah. Say that again. Said procrastination is the arrogant assumption that God is going to give you another chance tomorrow. So good. So good. So there's so many things that I want to ask you about real estate and your life and different things, but why don't you just give us some of your story? Give us a background on your upbringing and really some of the things that made you who you are today. Sure. I think that I've got a pretty typical, a pretty typical upbringing. I was, my mom was, my mom had been divorced and married three times. I had that to deal with split family first divorce. I think I was three. And then she got into an abusive relationship, alcoholic abusive relationship that ended when I was like nine. And then at 13, she married her last husband who she was with until, until he died. And uh, we got to, that was a man that I, that I really identified as my dad through very, through those very formative years from 12 to graduating high school and everything. He was there around and we had the opportunity to leave Washington state in 1982 when I was 12 years old and we moved to LA, lower Alabama, not West coast, Los Angeles, but lower Alabama. And that was a whole different world down there from a kid growing up in the Pacific Northwest, going down in, into the deep deep South. I went to a high school down there that was seventh through 12th grade. There were uh, just under 300 students and all but seven of us were, were black. There were seven, seven white kids. Mm-hmm. And, and we were, <laughs> I was poor white trash. I had a, I had an uncle that lived in a single wide mobile home and he added on another single wide mobile home. He parked it next to it, took a saw in between and created two doors on each end of it. We're like that. We thought that was the coolest thing in the world. So that was my upbringing. We moved back to Washington state in 1986. And in 1988, my mom and dad decided that they liked Alabama more and they left. And I stayed, I was actually dating my wife at the time and had a new car 
payment and uh, thought that I was doing pretty well and decided that I was going to stay here. I didn't want to go back to Alabama and then began that life with, uh, with my wife. And we got married right off the bat. We got, we had, we got married with a three month old son and then pro- proceeded to have three more every two years. And ended up with four sons by the time I was 26, 1996, we had, I didn't have any formal education. So I didn't have, it was just, it was just high school. All I knew was to trade hours for dollars. And as a new father with four boys and a wife that was staying home, I just traded more hours for more dollars until I ran out of hours. So I was working a couple different jobs and I went for a, I went for a job interview, Seattle. It was like a sales job kind of thing. It sounded like independent, you can make a bunch of money. And I ended up in a room like a lot of people do with a dozen other people. And it was a network marketing or multi-level marketing spiel. And that meeting really changed my life because here I was, I was 20, 20 years old at the time. And uh, this guy looked and looked me right in the eye. And he told me for the first time ever that I could be and do whatever I wanted to, if I was willing to pay the price. And I was like, I'd never heard that before. I, my mom had always said, oh, you can be whatever you want to be. But I thought, yeah, if I wanted to be a doctor or a lawyer, I could go to school and do all that stuff. But this guy's really telling, he's, he's telling me that I can dream. He's telling me that I can do, do whatever I wanted. And so that started us on a journey of like multi-level marketing, network marketing. And we've been a part of a couple of different companies, but the most significant one was when we joined the Amway company and these a couple of times a year, they have these big events that everybody gets together in a big stadium and it's this big rock raw thing and everybody gets all pumped up and they got the speakers and they're driving their cars and they're showing their big houses and their RVs and everything like that. But at the end of Saturday, they said, Hey, we're going to have a non-denominational service tomorrow. It's not part of the event. It's nothing that is required, but we'd really like for you to come. And I'd been going to church a little bit. Amy's mom and dad had required that I went to church after she got pregnant. It was like, all right, you're going to church. And I was like, okay, it was this, it was a, a very conservative Lutheran church, stand up, sit down. We had the hymn books and everybody had to memorize, but you still opened up the book and did this stuff. And when I went that Sunday morning, something was really different. I saw a man with real fruit in his life and real, there was just something, there was something there that I wanted. And when he gave an altar call, there was just no hesitation. I went down and gave my life to Christ on July 4th of 1996. And it was literally life-changing. I remember coming back and people were like, Oh, what'd you do this weekend? I'm like, I, my life has changed. I gave my life to Christ. And they're like, of course you're new. And you say that and it's, you're not prepared for just the, ah, blah, 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 that comes with it. But it was like, it was really life-changing. And that kind of began my, my, my walk with God. And of course there's been a lot of ups and downs and stumbles and scrapes and two by fours in the back of the head, but that's how it all started. And uh, most recently we ended up, my wife and I went through a little bit of some marriage things in 2003, ended up, ended up going back to church after being away from a while. And we're part of a church for 14 years. And when we made this decision that we were going to start traveling the world. It seemed like God was blessing this. And it was something that we were, yeah, doors just kept opening and it was like, we're waiting. It's stop us, stop us, God, if this is not what we're supposed to do. But he let us go on this amazing adventure. And we went to, we've been to 27 different countries. Like I said, we've seen lots of different things. And then almost two years into the journey, I had somebody that hired me. Like I said, I was doing some consulting. Somebody hired me to come to Jacksonville, Florida, of all places. 
and she wanted me to help her with some storyboarding. She was doing some YouTube videos. She was having a problem getting her story out of here and on the paper in a relatable way and something that I'm really good at. And so she flew me over from Cornwall, England at the time over to Jacksonville, Florida. I was here for a week, helped her with some stuff. And on the way out, we were driving back to the airport. She asked me, she goes, what would it take for me to get you and your wife to come here to Jacksonville and incubate my business for eight weeks. You guys can live in my house. I'll pay for everything. We'll probably have some other people come in. It'll be like a Facebook startup thing. And so I went back and I talked to Amy about it. We prayed about it and we negotiated this deal and said, okay, so we're going to be like, we're going to go to the United States for back to the United States for eight weeks. This lady's paying us to fly there. She's paying for us to fly back, covering all our expenses while we're there. So it'll be just like, okay, I'm just going to put a pin in this. And then we're going to go back and continue what we we're doing. And when we got to Jacksonville, that relationship lasted 19 days. We realized that she had totally misrepresented herself, that she had not, she didn't have the money she said she had. Her business was nowhere near was at where she said it was. And it turned out she was the worst narcissist that I've ever run into in my entire life. Wow. And, and so we ran, but we had tickets to go back six weeks later. What's really interesting during those 19 days, there were doors that were open that God was opening up. And we can look back now and we know in God's fingerprint, we know that God allowed it. God wanted us here in Jacksonville, Florida. If you would have told us this in 2018, I want you guys to leave jobs you love. I want you to leave a church that you've helped build for 14 years. I want you to leave your children and all your friends that you've known your entire life. And I want you to go to Jacksonville, Florida. We literally would have laughed. We would have said that is absolutely not God. But he allowed us to go on this amazing journey, knowing full well that he was going to bring us here. Because once we got here, there were doors that started to open like little life rafts. You remember that you heard the story about the guy in the, in the flood and he's up on his house and they send the cars like, you gotta go, you gotta go. Their floods are coming. He's like, oh, the Lord will save me. And water's rising. He's on the roof of his house or in, and a boat comes by. Hey, hop in the boat. Floods are here. He's like, nope, Lord will save me. Boat leaves and now a helicopter is standing like a hole in his chimney and a helicopter comes and he's like, come on, take the ladder. And, the, and he's like, no, the Lord will save me. And he dies. He goes to heaven and he's like, Lord, why didn't you save me? And God said, I sent you a car, a boat and a helicopter. Like I was trying. And during that time, we got a car, a boat, and a helicopter. And we didn't realize it until afterwards. Mm. But there were things that happened during those 19 days. It was like a car came, a boat came, and then finally a helicopter came and it crashed and we it flooded and we drowned. And we're like, okay, what do we do? And then through prayer, we were like, wait a minute, we've had these situations. So we had a uh, get this. So our third son's girlfriend's second cousin lives here in Florida and she's a widower and we met her for uh, lunch one day and she's like, if anything ever happens, I just love you guys. If you want to come live with me, I'm a widower. I've got a three bedroom, two bath house with a pool. And we're like, oh, that's great, Phyllis, but we're going back and we're going to go, we're going to go travel. So, yeah. Okay. And then one of the other things that we were doing is we were doing some lead generation for a mortgage company. This is how we segue into real estate is that we were doing lead generation for a mortgage guy down here. And he took Amy and I out to lunch after this whole thing had blown up with this other lady that we were working with, that we were working with her for him. And after that whole thing blew up, he called us and he's like, Hey, I want to take you guys out to lunch. And he said, have you ever thought about getting your real estate license, Roger? I said, his name's Roger also. I said, Roger, we've been around real estate for the last 30 years. Amy's dad has been buying and investing and renting and flipping houses since 1969, before anybody knew that was something you were supposed to do. So I've been a property manager. I've done his flips. I've been around it, but I just, we're traveling. He goes, no, if you get your real estate license, there's a broker here that you could, with what you had to do, lead generation and just getting people that if you got a sale, he would 
pay you a giant referral fee. You could do it from wherever you wanted and just send the referrals to him and you'll just send you a referral and he can pay you more because you can do it as a real estate agent. I'm like, all right, let's take a look at that. So I went and I looked at what it was going to take to get my real estate license. And it was just a simple, it's like $300 to take a course that was go at your own pace and then take a test. And so I decided, all right, let's do it. It took me 21 days and I finished the course. I took my real estate test, I passed. But during that time, there were other doors that were also opening. Like we're down here and so now a hurricane came. So we ended up like staying with Phyllis, this lady, and she turned out to be like super, super nice. And then we found a church down here that was like, just supposed to be like a place that we went, but it really started to feel like home. And God started to gradually open up more and more doors to where we're looking at going, okay, maybe we just stick a pin in traveling for now because we're going to go back home in December. So maybe we just hang out here. We'll get my real estate license. We'll see how that works. We'll go home at Christmas and then we'll go back to traveling. And that was all it took. It was like, God's like, nope, I've got you here. And just started like, start setting anchors and stuff. And imagine just allowed us to get into this, this short-term rental business that we're in and just open up doors and just being able to grow and have as much success as we did and learn what we did in such a short period of time that yeah. um, we're here. Like I said, I believe that God wanted us here the whole time. It's amazing. It's such an amazing testimony. And like you said, there's so often times when God is bringing us an opportunity, but we have our own plans and our own idea of how that opportunity should come to us. So again, if you're listening and you're thinking, God, this is how I want you to answer my prayer. Maybe take a look around and see if he's answering your prayer in a way that you didn't expect. Now, one thing I wanted to come back to you, Roger, because this has been one of the main themes on our podcast that I think so many people are getting freed from this mentality. You mentioned trading your hours for dollars. And I know I've heard you talk about leverage before. How does somebody get out of trading hours for dollars? Because I think most of us grew up with that mindset that, hey, you get a job, hopefully it's a good hourly rate. But at some point, the only way to make more money is to just work more hours. Whereas what I see you doing is not necessarily working more and more hours, but finding ways to leverage your time or other people's time or other people's finances, making your finances work for you. Talk to me about the mindset difference between trading your hours for dollars and what you're doing now. Yeah. So it's just that. It's exactly that, Caleb. It's a mindset. It's a switch. We've been conditioned since we were children that it was like, you do this, you get this. You you go to the bathroom and grandpa's going to give you a dollar or you go pick out, pick weeds and I'm going to do this. Or you work eight hours and I'm going to give you this amount of money. And it's just this, the, this, this transfer of, and you, we just have to get out of that mindset because up until a hundred years ago, that mindset didn't, that mindset wasn't around. It was using the sweat of your brow and what you, what your knowledge and your skills in order to gain income. And right now in the age that we're in and the rate of how fast information transmits and travels and just the knowledge that people have in their head, there are a thousand different ways to be able to leverage a little bit of time. And if you're listening and you don't think that you have time, you're fooling yourself. There's all kinds of great 
tips and tricks and tools and things that we have here in the King's Council that uh, that are available that can help you identify how you actually have time. It's amazing to me how many people tell me they don't have time and then have a conversation about the latest Netflix show that they power binged over the last week. And that, and that's fine. I like Netflix too. My wife and I, it's one of our wind down things that we do at the end of the day. We'll sit down and we'll and watch a show and stuff like that. But, but you have to know and understand that you are in control of your time and how you use that is 100% up to you. So there's a mindset that needs to change. And then the other thing is it's a self-accountability thing is the fact that I realized that wherever, wherever I'm at right now, good, bad, or otherwise is a direct result of the decisions that I've made, not any outside sources or circumstances that have happened to me, but I am here where I'm at because of decisions that I've made. And I always have been. I've been, I've in 2008, when the market crashed and housing went through the roof, I happened to lose a business and I was in front of a bankruptcy jury in a bankruptcy court. I was there because of decisions I made. It wasn't, well, yeah, the market took a dump and, uh, and the economy and all that stuff happened, but I'm the one that made the choice to get over leveraged and to do all this stuff because I can make it up on the back end. Those were decisions that I made in my mind and I was there of my own accord. Mm-hmm. So there's certainly some accountability that people need to have as well to realize that you're the master of your own ship and it's not anybody else's fault. You're the one at the wheel. It's funny because it's... I'm trying to think of how many of these podcasts I've done, but I sit with business owners from all over the country. If I had to say there's one thing that every successful person I talk to has in common, at least in my conversations with them, it's what you just said, ownership and responsibility, that you are not a victim. You are not a circumstance of other people's choices. And granted, there are different things outside of our lives that we can't control. So I'm not saying that we control everything. But the people that are successful are people that take ownership and take responsibility of the opportunities that they've been given. They're good stewards of those opportunities. Let's get a little bit more specific in terms of real estate. Obviously, in the last really just short amount of time, a couple of years, you've been able to build out this whole number of rental properties and different investments. I know you're managing some properties as well, but how did in just a couple of years of time, you get to a point where... I guess I don't know the exact details of how much you're cash flowing, but probably more monthly than most people do on a yearly basis. And that happened in in such a short period of time. So talk to me about why you love real estate, how that happened so quickly, and what are some of the things that you're excited about specific to real estate? Sure. So when I got my real estate license, it actually opened up a whole new... I didn't. I just didn't know what I didn't know. When you think about real estate, it's okay. There's a couple of ways you can be a real estate agent and you can buy and sell houses for people, or you can, and that's where most people start. And then once yep. you're in, then you start to see different opportunities and things that are in the market and things that are trending. First of all, we'll be really honest about the houses that we have and the and everything that 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 we have up until this point is all the houses and everything we have are part of a family trust. So this is Amy's mom and dad. They, like I said, he's been in real estate since 1969, buying and selling houses, different partnerships and stuff like that. When he's decided, we, when he saw that we were in Florida, he was like, okay, so you're in Florida, you've got the real estate license now. What's the market looking like down there? And I was telling him back in, in 2019, like the market's really undervalued. Like we 
like we need to, we have assets in, we as in the family, we've got assets in Seattle that we've had for years and years that are underperforming houses that are worth a lot of money and we're not getting the cash flow out of them that we need. So for instance, we had a house, the very first house that we sold up there, it was a three bedroom, two bath Rambler. It was built in 1988. It was nothing special but it sold for $400,000. Now we took that $400,000 and we bought two houses down here in Florida at $200,000 a piece. Now that house up there was getting about $1,900 a month in rent when we could get it. They, we had, the house had been trashed three separate times, which is why we we're getting rid of it this last time. The last people had trashed it. I literally sold this house with no doors on the inside of them. There were no doors. It was like painted and new carpet and, and that was it. But down here, we were able to get houses for $200,000. And then we started looking at Airbnbs and short-term rentals because while we were traveling for two years, we stayed in a lot of different housing. We stayed in hostels, homestays, and Airbnb or short-term rental properties. Sure. And so we had been on the other side of it and we knew that, hey, this has got, this looks like it's, it makes a lot of sense. And we had gone to a couple local meetups and talked to a couple people that were telling me cash flow numbers that I was like, that's just not possible. It's, I just, that I don't get it. And the more that I looked into it and more I looked into it, I'm like, dad, we need to take these and we need to buy these and turn them into short-term rentals. He's what's, what are long-term rent rates? And I'm like, for these houses down here right now, we're going to get about $1,400, $1,500 a month in rent. So we're going to get $3,000 a month out of this $400,000 that we were getting about $1,900 a month. And he's, that's better than we're doing. That's, that's great. And I'm like, but here, let's t- let me show you these numbers. And so I started showing him numbers and we we're talking about going from $1,900 a month to $8,000 a month. And he's like that. He was like me. That just can't be right. And I kept showing him the numbers, showed him all kinds of things. And finally, he's like, "All right, let's experiment. Let's let's do it." This first house. So we got about two houses. They were brand new construction. One of them finished up in February of 2019. So we we furnished it. We got it. Everything. Amy and I went in and we bought all the furnishing, hung the drapes, did all the fixtures, everything, got it all ready, and it's all ready to go. We put about fifteen thousand dollars into furnishing it, and COVID. Governor shuts down all short-term rentals. That's, oh, we were ready to go. Everything looked really good. Numbers, like we had our rates, everything looked like we were set to make about four grand a month off this thing. And COVID hits and a month goes by and dad's like, where's my rent check? We're like, COVID, we can't do anything. He's like, turn it into a long-term rental. I, I, he's like, we got to have the cash flow. Now these are all, these properties are paid for. So he's just, but he's just used to cash flows. It's something new. He's very scared. And I'm like, just give us some time, give us some time. And another month went by and we were part of a group that came up with the, the, the all the short-term rental people in the area got together with the County, figured out protocols of what we could do, submitted them to the government governor and the governor approved our County to start opening up short-term rentals based on these procedures. So we opened up and as soon as we did, it was like the floodgates opened. I think the first month we did, first month we did almost five thousand dollars in cash flow, which was what two and a half times what we were making off of just one that that one four hundred thousand dollar house. We still got another two hundred thousand dollar house that's coming, and so sorry. So that was things, just one of those houses cash flowed five thousand in the first month. Yes, it's amazing. Yeah, compared um, to so the, the nineteen hundred you were making off of half that in yeah. uh, Upper West Coast. Yep. 
So then a couple months later, the other property got finished and dad was like, yep, no problem. Here's the, here, let's furnish it. So we did the same thing. And we started off with those two properties and Amy and I did everything, uh, the bookings, the management, the cleaning, the dealing with the customers. We did everything because we were in, we were trying to see if this was a business that, that we could actually do and that was scalable. And when we wanted to, if we were going to hire somebody, we wanted to make sure that we knew and understood everything that was going sure. on in it. So when somebody said, oh, it's going to take us four hours to clean the house, we're like, yeah, no, it doesn't take that long because we've done it a lot. So yep. by the so those two properties, just those two properties average between nine and ten thousand dollars a month off of that initial four hundred thousand dollars. So we've taken that that nineteen hundred that nineteen hundred dollars and we five times it off of those, mm. off of those two houses. So that was like, okay, that let's just, let's see if that was a fluke. And so we started doing it again and we sold another property and then we bought another one. We sold another property and bought another one to the point right now where we have seven of our own properties down here. We manage another property for another couple. That's just going to be about another month and we're getting rid of that. And we're only going to be doing our own properties. Um, and then Amy and I have dealt with, I've, I've found a builder down here that's going to work with us. And we're going to start acquiring some of our own properties outside of the trust. So it's going to be some of our own mom and dad don't like pools and some other things. And there's things that we want to do because, because we can, and it's allowed me to get really creative. There's a property that's coming on. <clears throat> One of the builders that I'm dealing with, he doesn't want to sell the property. He's like, I like the passive income. He goes, I know what you do with the properties. I've sold six to you, six of our properties we bought from the same builder. He goes, but I really want the passive income. And I'm like, what if I'll give you that passive income? What if I rent that house from you for $2,500 a month? You know that I'm going to take care of it. I'll sign a long-term lease with you. I want first right of refusal that I can buy this house and I'll just rent it from you. And he's like, are you going to turn it into a short-term rental? I said, yep. He goes, have at it. So now we've what we so this was what we call the arbitrage method, and this is available for somebody who doesn't have the ability to buy a house. You can actually rent a house, and then as long as the owner knows what you're going to do with it, turn it out. So this same house that we're going to rent for twenty five hundred dollars a month, we're going to still make probably a little bit more than five thousand because it's we're going to have a pool put into this one, so we're going to be talking five to six thousand. So I'm still going to cash flow thirty five hundred dollars a month on top after my rental expenses, other expenses add up to 700 bucks. I'm still going to cash flow almost $3,000 a month off a house that I don't even own. Incredible. A couple quick, quick fire questions to you sure. on short-term rentals. Would that work in any market? So for example, I'm here in Wisconsin. If I wanted to rent a house from somebody and it was there was nothing exciting about the house, wasn't a nice view or anything, just in a residential area, would that still be as profitable as what you're seeing down in Florida? It could be. There are markets all over the country. So here's the thing that people need to realize is people travel for all kinds of different reasons. People think about Airbnb as they think about, oh, I got to have the beach house with the rock star swimming pool, or it's got to be in Disney World or something like that. There's got to be a draw. But you got to remember people travel for all kinds of reasons. I have one of our properties that we just brought online this weekend, had somebody move in yesterday for, for three months. Uh, and she is from Orlando. She is up here on a contract. She's a nursing home administrator. And the administration, the company that she's working for has given her a $4,500 housing allowance to be able to find a furnished place up here. Mm. And so she contacted us. And so we've rented this house out for $4,500 a month and I don't have to do anything to it. Mm. I don't have to clean it. I don't have to go and do the towels. I don't have to deal with multiple bookings in a month. It's just $4,500 that comes in. If there's schools, if there's hospitals, there are different draws all around the area. And, uh, and this is one of the things that Amy and I coach on is somebody who wants to, who has a question like that going, Hey, I'm thinking about getting involved. How do I find a good area? This is where I'm at. 
I want to self-manage or depending on what they're trying to accomplish, sure. we can kind of get to the root of those things and help them find a market. But we've been in Wisconsin and I've looked at the Airbnb market and there's actually some Airbnbs that are around there that actually do do quite well. So there, it's just a different mindset. There's a lot of different draws sure. and depending on what somebody wants to do, if they want to have a vacation house or they want somebody else to pay for, or they want cash flow, or they need a place that their kid can go to. We've got a lady here who's staying with us in our house. We actually Airbnb a couple rooms upstairs and the house that she's been staying in Daytona, her parents bought it for her to go to school. And when she's not going to school down there, then they short-term rental it out to, to pay offset the mortgage. Sure. Sure. Okay. Next question. Obviously there's murmurings about the economy. There's a recession or the housing market takes a turn. Do you feel like short-term rentals are more recession proof than let's say flips, other types of investments that people are doing in real estate? Oh, I don't know if I'd go that far to say that they're recession proof. They might be they might be a little bit susceptible to recession. What we've seen in the last month is travel has slowed down a little bit. But for us, it's still it, the numbers still work. It's still cash flows. It's still an appreciating asset. I think where people are going to get into trouble right now, well, let's well, let's talk about so is a recession coming? Are we in a recession? Absolutely. It's not going to get any better. Inflation is double digits, no matter what they're telling you. And But real estate is a pretty safe bet. It's a long game. Just look at look at all the hedge funds that are buying up houses by the neighborhood. Literally, there's a, a hedge fund that bought an entire 97-unit neighborhood down here from the builder directly to build. And they're going to rent all those out because real estate's a long game. It's a long game. You're always going to make money in real estate. Even you look at historically, even if it's taken a dump and a dive in the next five to 10 years, it comes back and it goes even past it. So it's always a safe bet sure. where what I'm telling people right now is if you've got money in the bank, uh, get it out, buy real estate, do something, get it into, even if you just get it into a Delaware real estate investment trust, that's going to give you back five, five percent on your money. Your, your money's literally smoldering away to nothing in the bank. Sure. You're earning less than a percent of interest. Inflation is at 15. You're losing 14% interest every day that your money's in the bank. So do something, get it into something that's appreciating and long-term. But sure. the housing market's not going anywhere. That actually, Fannie Mae just released an article yesterday that said that that the first-time home buyers market, the first-time home buyers market of houses, like somebody would buy their first-time house, it's going to take another ten years for the builders to catch up with the demand, especially with all the millennials coming into the market right now buying. It's going to be another ten years before the housing market even starts to come under control. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. It seems as more and more people are getting into rental properties, short-term rentals, obviously I know it's something that you coach on. You've helped other people launch that business. How does somebody stand out in that world? It comes down to who you, what your your avatar is. This is a term that we use a lot in business. You need to know who your, who your customer is, who your client is, who are you trying to attract? Are you trying to attract traveling nurses? Are you trying to attract business people? Are you trying to attract families? Are you trying to attract people for weddings? Are you trying to attract families that are going to Disney World? And then that is going to determine how you set yourself apart is how sure. you market it. So many people get in and they're like, I'm just going to, I'm going to market to everybody. And that's, that's what everybody else is doing. But when somebody takes and they niche down a little bit, like there's a guy in one of my network groups down here who just opened up a new short-term rental property about two months ago, and his house is entirely 90s themed. 
Mm. So he's got a, his movie room has got a, a blockbuster and there's a Sonic the Hedgehog mural on one wall. And he's got Nintendos and Playstations and stuff in, in all the different rooms. His mm. house is completely and totally themed 90s. And he's just crushing it because he's got a little bit of a niche. He stands out. It's something that people are like, yes, I want to, I want to stay there. Standing out is going to depend on who you want to serve. Excellent. Who are the primary people that you work with in terms of coaching? Who do you think you're able to serve best when they come to you for real estate coaching? I really am partial to people like my kids. So I am, I'm 52. There is a large portion of younger people that are looking to get to start investing people in their late twenties to mid thirties that are just looking for some real answers and trying to figure out how they can do something as simple as I want to buy a vacation house. That's what my kids did. They bought a house in Mesa, Arizona. It's Arizona. They've got friends down there. It's a place they want to go. And they bought a house that they can go and they can vacation and stuff in. And they turned it into a short-term rental that's paying the bills and covers them to stay down there when they want. And they're starting to make enough money. Now they're starting to realize, wait, we can do this again and start Mm -hmm. to do a little bit of cash flow. So I love helping people hack things, whether it's hacking their first house by buying a fourplex and living in part of it and letting other people pay for it or buying a vacation house and letting somebody else pay for it. I really, I think that I I can serve people by just teaching them some things about money, about creative finance, about how things work. I've got some great partners, finance partners that, that specifically specialize just in investment loans. And because we've done a lot of things creative ourselves, I tend to think a little bit outside the box. So even if someone has zero experience in real estate, they don't know what they're doing at all, they can come to you and you'll hold their hand through that process? Absolutely. Absolutely. A buddy of mine who's also a real estate coach, he says, he goes, it's all about what's in your pocket. So when we talk about real estate, it takes three things to put any real estate deal together. It takes the deal, it takes somebody with money, and it takes somebody with experience. I know you can see my three fingers there. I'll hang in front of here. So it takes three things, right? What people get all caught up is they think they have to have all three of those things. I have to have mm-hmm. time, the experience, the money, and I have to know where the deal is. Like I have to have all these things. And that's just not true. You just have to have one of those things or put together those things. I was able to put together a real estate deal just a couple months ago where I actually brought the deal into a guy mm-hmm. who brought the money. And then we went to the person that had the deal. And over the ne- in the next... 12 to 18 months, I'm going to make $75,000 off of that deal. And I have nothing in it, but just an introduction of a couple of people that I put together. Wow. So it's just, it's knowing, it's knowing how to assemble those things. Cause if you have nothing, chances are, you're still going to hear about a good deal. If you're looking and I can teach you how to look and where to look and stuff like that. But if you find a deal, I will tell you that one of our, one, like one of our buddies, Scott says, there's literally money splashing around right now, even in this economy, especially right now, because there are a lot of investors that have cash that they are desperate to put somewhere and get out of it. So sure. if you find a deal and the deal makes money, I guarantee you, we will be able to find somebody to put that deal together and you'll get a piece of it just for putting it together. And then you build that piece and to another piece. And then you get some experience pretty soon. Now you're doing the deal on your own. It's a great way to start. Excellent. Excellent. We're about wrapping up here. If somebody's really connected with your story and connected with your with what you're doing, or maybe they want to get some coaching from you on real estate, what's the best way for them to connect with you? They can go to, they can find us on Facebook at the short-term rental guys, or they can go to the short-term rental guys.com, uh, short-term rental guys on Instagram, all of those reach out. Short-term rental guys? 
The short-term rental guys. Yep. The short-term, short-term rental guys. Rental guys. guys. Yep. yep. Absolutely. All right. We'll give you the last word here. So anything that you would say to our audience is a last word of encouragement to them. Yeah. I think that, I think that just doing and acting and just taking a step forward is the most important thing. People ask me all the time, what do I need to do to get started? And it's to get started. Mm. So many times we get analysis paralysis and we spend so much time getting ready to get ready and we got to get bogged down in the research. And then it's, oh, this means I got to, oh, there's this thing. Now I got to learn how to do this. I got to do this. And done is better than perfect. Mm. Act and just take a step out and just start making moves and moving forward and your path will become clear. That's really good. And I know I said that was going to be the last word, but the follow-up question on that, it seems like a lot of people I interview, maybe they had a vision originally. I think it's good to have a vision, but it seems like a lot of them just started taking those first steps and things start to unfold a lot of times differently than how they originally envisioned it. Is that how it was for you that you had this all planned out in the beginning or did you start to take steps and it unfolded before you? Yeah, no. Remember, we were living out of a backpack, just living the carefree life. We had no idea. If you would have told me four years ago that this is where I would, that I'd be in Southeast Florida, I would have seven short-term rentals and this giant house in a, like, I wouldn't have believed you, but it's all about just walking and then walking in faith. And let me just close with this illustration that I, that I love to use. So I think that our life is a series of rooms and in those rooms, there are doors and we spend our time like opening doors and walking through them and seeing what's going on. And sometimes those doors are, are, are dead ends, but there's definitely a path for our life that God's created. And there's doors that he's designed for us to walk in. And we spend so much time like going in and checking a door and checking a door and checking a door. And every once in a while, you'll walk into a room and the room will be on fire. And you're like, oh, that's not the door. I'm just going to shut that. And then you go and you've walked through all the rest of these doors and it's God, where am I supposed to go? I've just come to a bunch of dead ends and God's pointing over at that room that's on fire. And you're like, but it's on fire. And God goes, I know, because I need to, I need you to go through that to get you to the next place. Mm. So you end up going through that and you end up, and then you end up in another room that's full of doors and you got to figure it out again. Mm. But once you start going in, once you start going through the doors that and finding the doors that God has for you and you start walking and identifying that path that he has for your life, those rooms get smaller and there's less doors. And then it gets to a point where like you walk into a room and it's easy. Like you're just drawn, like there's a flashing sign over that door because, because you're walking in step with the plan that God has for your life. And it takes a while to get there. You can get bumped up and scraped up and a few broken noses and a few two by fours in the back of the head, but you literally have to open the doors Mm. that you just do. You got to open the doors and that takes action on your part. You have to do what you can do in order for God to do what you can't do. So good, Roger. So good. And I would encourage our audience listening that one of the first ways that you can take action, especially if you have an appetite for real estate, is to reach out to Roger. I personally am friends with Roger. I can recommend him to you. He's an amazing guy. I always tell Roger this, that anytime he shows up at our events, he's the one with the big smile and the energy. And he's just, it's contagious being around Roger and man of God, family man, such, so much wisdom in terms of not just real estate, but really just managing your wealth as well. So absolutely take that first step of action and reach out to Roger. I know he's going to take care of you. It could be one of the most important steps that you ever take in your life. So Roger, thanks so much for your time. And we so appreciate having you on the podcast. Yeah. I'm happy to be here and happy to serve. Love it. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Chosen Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Spittler, and we will catch you on the next episode. 
Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of The Chosen Podcast, powered by The King's Council. If you loved what you heard, give us a follow and a five-star review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can also watch this podcast and much more on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash King's Council Coaching.